Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. Welcome to MedEvidence, Truth Behind the Data. I'm Michelle McCormick. Today, we're talking with Dr. Michael Corrin and Dr. Stephen Tengis. We are discussing Alzheimer's disease and what does your gut have to do with it? Very interesting. First of all, let me introduce Dr. Michael Corrin. He is a principal investigator and cardiologist. He's the CEO and founder of Encore Research Group. He has been with them for as many years. How many years, Dr. Corrin? We started the company in 1997. There you go. All right. And you've been published in some of the most prestigious journals. Our other guest today is Dr. Stephen Tengis. He's a board-certified neurologist and principal investigator on multiple trials at Encore Research Group. He is a decorated Navy veteran and has been practicing neurology in Jacksonville for over 10 years. Well, gentlemen, great discussions today about um, this deadly disease that 6 million Americans face and one of the top causes of death yeah, yeah. in the United States. And it, we probably Alzheimer's. just a second just talking about how devastating it can be to some families mm-hmm. and how much it um, stresses people and the resources involved in treating these folks and keeping them out of trouble. Frustrating for yeah. loved ones too. It's, um, it, it, it's definitely an issue that has a lot of families um, uh, very, very concerned. Mm-hmm. And and if there's any hope in trials and, and drugs, you know, we, we had a very good conversation about that as well. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about aducanumab, a monoclonal antibody, fully human monoclonal antibody that is directed to toward clearing these amyloid plaques in the brain. And we were starting to talk about other new research and some of the lessons learned from this particular study. Uh, we mentioned the fact that there's some controversy about this particular product because it may not have great efficacy, but was still approved by the FDA. True. Uh, and, uh, you know, remember, we're, there are other antibodies. Uh, and so exactly um, how, to, how to administer these therapies and when to do it. Uh, is something that's been uh, going through the refinement process for uh, 20 years. Um, And so hopefully we're about to see some of the fruits of all of that labor. Um, but there are other other studies. We have, um, you know, other uh, active Alzheimer's trials that are ongoing. Um, one particular interesting one has um, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, the uh, uh, flavor of this buzz that we say the gut-brain axis. Um, there is uh, a therapy that's, that's uh, currently approved by uh, the FDA in China, uh, or their equivalent of the FDA for uh, Alzheimer's disease, and it's it's really an oligosaccharide that's an extract from uh, brown algae, actually that that is designed to alter uh, essentially our GI flora, the gut flora, uh, and manipulate in a way that uh, influences how. Uh, inflammation occurs um, at a distant site, um, and that being our brain. Uh, and as it turns out, there are a number of areas of research that are uh, 
that are investigating how we can influence uh, a very important flora of bacteria in our gut uh, and influence other parts of our body, such as um, deleterious inflammatory responses in Alzheimer's. I'm curious about the Chinese approval. Was that based on good clinical trial data or less good, in your opinion? <clears throat> um, I political statements about <laughs> I, th- I think right. I think I think that it's comforting to know I think for our general public I'll say it this way um, that if you want to have a therapeutic FDA approved by the FDA in the United States you have to do the study under the watchful eye of the FDA and they reserve the right to audit you at any point in time that they want and you better have your ducks in a row mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, just quite frankly, I, I know nothing about Chinese uh, F, uh, equivalent of the FDA. Uh, and, and the general public here in the United States would, would I think it would be safe to say, not have a whole lot of confidence mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. process. And yeah. so it does, it, those are studies that need to be replicated. It here. sounds like a very intense probiotic. Um, it's it, so with uh, quote unquote probiotics. There's there's a, a couple of general ways you can approach that. Um, you know, this is an oligosaccharide. It's not actually bacteria. Um, there are some therapeutics that are actually bacteria that you're swallowing a capsule of different types of bacteria to try to have them influence the population in your gut. But this specific study is an oligosaccharide that's an extract from brown algae. It's not an actual bacteria. Okay. So I guess we probably should define the microbiome for folks and help them understand that. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting a little jargony here. <laughs> so the, our intestines are, are loaded with bacteria. Uh, and those bacteria are very important to our own function, um, and they can go awry and make you quite miserable. Uh, and most people have probably had the experience of altering their uh, gut flora with antibiotics um, and have torn their GI tract up or gotten other complications and, and allowed uh, deleterious um, uh, organisms to take hold and start to grow. Most people have heard of, of C. diff as a complication of antibiotics. That's just tipping the balance in the wrong way uh, for a particular bacterium that can kill you. Uh, it can be so severe. And so, you know, learning a lot about the way that we can control or influence uh, one of the most important parts of, of physiology within our body uh, that actually has to do with other organisms that live within our body. Yeah, so just a, a little bit of an aside, but it's interesting in terms of how science evolves and how thinking evolves is something that I, I shared with some of the staff uh, uh, earlier in the week, which is <clears throat> when I was in high school, I used to play Trivial Pursuit. And one of the questions was, what's the largest organ in the body? Mm-hmm. And the answer was the liver. And that was a solid organ. that was considered the largest organ in the body. Then I went to medical school and they asked the question, I raised my hand, no, it's the liver. And they said, no, no, it's the skin. Mm-hmm. The skin, even though you don't think of it as a solid organ, is everywhere and it has a lot of biological functions and that's actually the largest organ in the body. I said, that's cool. So I got into cardiology, I was in my cardiology fellowship and they said, what's the largest organ in the body? And I raised my hand and I said, the skin. They said, no, 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 it's the endothelium, which is what lines all the blood vessels everywhere in the body. So if you add up all the cells in the endothelium, it's equal to a greater in volume than the skin. Hmm. 
And uh, recently I was at a conference and they said, what's the largest organ in the body? And I said, the endothelium. They said, no, it's the microbiome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> drilling it way down here, right? And so uh, the actual weight of all these bacteria is could be five or 10 pounds worth of weight in our body that's responsible for these very, very interesting functions. Obviously, the the, the way our GI tract works is, is is importantly regulated by the microbiome, but it turns out there may be a lot of other things, including the inflammatory states of our body and the ability to affect certain proteins, including some of these unfolding concepts that we talked about earlier. Hmm. I, I like that story. <laughs> um, the uh, and and I I I would have um, I would follow that up with with uh, a reference to a joke. Okay. Every, every different specialty. Uh, in medicine, we have jokes about the specialty, and the jokes are a little bit true. Uh, and within the neuro- <laughs> as most jokes can be, <laughs> there's a little truth to them. That's right, why they're right, funny. Right. Um, and within the neurology world, I think that our our historical joke is a historical joke that's not really true so much anymore. Uh, but this is the joke. Uh, and so I'll ask you: Do you know how many neurologists it takes to change a light bulb? I would say none. Give it to the other guy in the room to do. The answer is we can't change a life. <laughs> and that's the silliness of it. Right. Right. Realistically, right. with the explosion of therapeutics and all of these things that we're talking about with research, that's, not, that's becoming a uh, not-so-accurate joke anymore. Um, with the explosion of therapeutics, particularly in the neuroscience world, and you know that's why we're so hopeful with with uh, the things that we've been discussing here, uh, particularly therapeutics as it pertain to Alzheimer's and their research, which is ongoing. So, all right, back to the original question. Then, what does our gut have to do with it? So, we're running clinical trials as we speak to determine whether or not changes in the microbiome will help memory. Mm-hmm. And if somebody can call us, and if they're interested, we can get them involved in a program as we speak. And it's one of many approaches that are being looked at in terms of understanding this phenomenon of, of how different parts of our body interact with each other, and affecting one can have positive influences in, in other parts of our body. And you know, there are many lessons in medicine that have, have taught us that, in fact, um, these things could can have a huge impact. So... You just and this is a little bit off subject, but is, is somewhat relevant. Is um, in congestive heart failure, which is an area that I've worked in for 30 years. We've gone from uh, uh, talking about using devices to using pills to back to using devices as the best way of treating it, and it has to do with uh, increasing understanding. And sometimes I hear patients say, "Well, you guys keep on changing your mind about what's best." Well, we're not changing our mind. We're just getting better and better data and responding to the better and better data. So, um, you know, for example, one of the huge issues in clinical medicine right now is how to keep people out of the hospital that have congestive heart failure. And um, we kn- we've known that if you're really, really compulsive with all the treatments, then you tend to stay out of the hospital, but that's hard for a lot of people. So one of the interesting things that, um, that again, connects different parts of the body, and that's why I'm bringing this up, is we're working now on an app that a person can speak to to determine if they're having a congestive heart failure failure exacerbation. Is their CHF getting worse? Mm. They say, well, what does your voice have to do with anything? Well, think about it. If there is swelling or edema in your voice, mm-hmm. the, the tone may change. 
that'd be hard for an average person to pick up, but a computer may pick it up. A computer can also pick up how many words are in a sentence between voices, uh, between breaths. And if breaths can be labored. Yeah, yeah. But just counting the number of words that you speak between breaths is something a computer can do relatively easily. And that changes in congestive heart failure. So again, there are things you would never think of that may be good ways of understanding a particular disease process. And we're running trials on all these things, by the way. And the gut-brain connection is an example of this. Is right. that the microbiome is probably very, very important in determining overall body inflammation. We know that overall body inflammation has a huge impact on a lot of functions, including vascular and brain functions, and that's what we're actually looking at. And sometimes it may seem crazy, but we do clinical trials that prove that that crazy idea actually works. Well, how do you get involved with a clinical trial if you, I mean, people have bad guts. We eat bad food. We're uncomfortable, distressed all the time. How do we determine if it's uh, something more serious like colorectal cancer or even, you know, something that can be treated over the counter? How do we get involved in a trial that can help move this, this forward? Well, uh, just get on our website. Um, we have uh, a, a website, jaxresearch.com. We call, call the Encore Research Group. You can just get on that, JX Research, and you can set up an appointment for whatever therapeutic area you may be interested in. Of course, we have great physicians in this community, and uh, they're they're at the ready to help people understand things. And a lot of us participate in clinical trials. There's about 100 people here in Northeast Florida that are running these studies and participating in clinical trials. So there, there are tremendous opportunities. I think um, our, our phone number to call in is 904-730-0166. And... It's as easy as that. Give that number a call and say, hey, I'm worried about my memory and and my gut flora. I heard about you. Uh, <laughs> sign me up. Well, I mean, but what I mean, I have I have memory and I occasionally I have stomach distress. How would I, you know, do, do I qualify for, oh, for that not. trial? Okay. Not. I don't think so. Yeah, but you, you, I'm you. just saying you as a whole. Who, yeah, yeah. who Again, if, if we'll, we'll have people that will screen patients and, and um, sometimes they're just what we call the worried well. And a lot of worried well people actually end up in, in um, vaccine studies. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we talked about RSV um, when we were talking about COVID. And RSV is the, the next virus that we're all concerned about. And we're doing studies as we speak to protect healthy people from that virus. So there's a lot of opportunities in research here in Northeast Florida. And we'd encourage people to give us a call. And, and if they're interested in these concepts, I think they'll find that research is a tremendous learning experience. You meet great people like Dr. Tangis and, and other staff members. And um, you're contributing to society because one of the beauties about clinical research is that we learn collectively. The information that we derive from you, it's not shared based on your specific name or we don't identify the patient. But collectively, this gets put together and we learn throughout the world from, other, from these experiences. And that's a key difference between research and just being treated by your doctor. Your doctor will do the best that he or she can do to keep you out of trouble, but we don't collect the information. So the learning that comes from collecting of information is unique to clinical trials. All right. Well, Dr. Michael Corrin and Dr. Stephen Tengis, what final word would you like to say today about our conversation on Alzheimer's disease? Uh, just if it's a, a disease uh, that has affected your family, uh, you personally or your loved ones, uh, you know, there's a whole world of uh, um, uh, 
you know, resources available to you, and and part of that world includes the research world, um, and investigate it, uh, and and try to move forward as best you can. Uh, and there's a lot of a lot of help uh, available, and so uh, you know, just and just try to figure out what you can because there's a lot of people that that can they can do a lot of things to help you. Amen. Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence, the truth behind the data.